This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. There is nothing in the world more important than a good dad and a strong dad and a Christian dad. And I was, I was blessed to grow up with one myself. So <coughs> happy Father's Day to all you guys. Corey Asbury, anybody know who Corey Asbury is? He sings this amazing song called Reckless Love. Anybody heard it? There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no shadow that he won't light up coming after me. It says that his love is reckless, it's dangerous. And I'm here to tell you when he comes after you and he grabs you by the heart, there is no escaping it, there is no running from it, he's got you. It says that he leaves the 99 to come after the one. The fact that I stand before you today is a living, breathing miracle to that. Just eight years ago, I was dead. I was broken. That's me. I didn't know that was possible right there. I'm passed out drunk, sitting up. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you can laugh. It's all right. My wife, my family, I lost them for a period of time, and, and she took that picture to prove to me that you are an absolute wreck. But see, God has a habit of taking the broken things and making them beautiful. He has a habit of making all things new in his time. And I'm a living, breathing testament to that. Eight years ago, I was dead. I was broken. I was lost. I wanted to die. I had to sleep at night holding my five-year-old daughter, Chloe, just to fill her heartbeat, just to keep me alive one more day. I was lost, broken, living in guilt, sin, despair. I was a drunk. And that's why I do what I do now. Yeah, I coach baseball, but I get to do this. I get to share with others. And I'm going to tell you why it's so important to me. Because you don't have to raise your hand, but there's somebody here today that is lost. They're living in regret. They're living in sin. They're guilty. They're ashamed. They're being accused daily by the enemy. They don't feel like they're worthy. Somebody probably dragged them here today, and I'm here to tell you that it's okay. I'm here to tell you that if he can swoop down with one hand and grab me up by the back of the collar and jerk me out of the mud pit, he can do the exact same thing for you. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray for three things today. I pray, first of all, for the absolute truth. I pray for freedom, and I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, dear Lord God, in the name of Jesus, amen. As I was leaving UL Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. Anybody heard of the Raging Cajuns? You got to keep your eye on those Cajuns. They're crazy. I was there part of 2012, 2013, 2014. And in 2014, this band of misfits, this group of nobodies that collectively set out to become somebody, nobody knew our name, pulled off the seemingly impossible. They pulled off a, a miracle. They became the first mid-major ever in the history of college baseball to finish the season, the regular season, as the consensus number one ranked team in the nation in all five polls. It was an absolute, this is a team that two years earlier was 23 and 30, 
Just in 2012, they were 23 and 30. In 2014, number one ranked team in the nation in all five polls. They finished the season 58 and 10. You know how hard that is? We didn't lose back-to-back games until the last game of the year. And we're coming off this heartbreaking defeat to Ole Miss to go to Omaha. We had hosted, we were a top eight seed, and we were in a super regional and we were in the championship game. And we lost to Ole Miss to go to Omaha. And the next day, I didn't know I was leaving UL yet. And the next day I was having what we call a pack meeting or a hitters meeting. I was saying goodbye. There's those crazy boys right there. I was saying goodbye to this group that I had been responsible for. And as I'm talking to them, I believe that the the Holy Spirit can whisper to you sometimes, can talk to you sometimes. As I was talking to them, I felt the Lord nudge me and he says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you on just a little bit bigger stage. And I thought, oh, you got to understand this about me. I'm very, very hyper competitive. I'm super competitive. I can be selfish. I can be opportunistic. And so when the Lord speaks, I'm going to, he, he spoke this to my heart. I'm going to take you. I didn't even know I was leaving. And I'm going to put you on just a little bit bigger stage. I thought, oh my God, I'm going back to coaching the SEC. I'm going to get a head coaching job in the SEC. I'm going to the big 12 because that's just who I am. And that's who I'm wired. But invariably, like he always does, he led me back to scripture, Isaiah 43, one, it says, do not be afraid for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. I call you by name. You are mine. And as I, my eyes are open now and I step back and I look and I think about that meeting and I think about that day and then I speak and I look at that press conference. That press conference has been viewed by over 50 million people worldwide. That press conference was at a super regional and Clayton didn't have to say it, but yeah, we lost 19 to nothing that day. <laughs> Biggest defeat in school history. Thank you, Clayton. I wasn't going to say anything about that. If you wanted to find out, you'd have to Google it or something. But 50 million people coming off the hills of a loss watch that press conference. That's a little bit bigger stage. And I speak to audiences like this, and I think, you know what? When the Lord said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you on a little bit bigger stage, and he led me to Isaiah 43.1, says, I have redeemed you, I summon you, I call you by name. He wasn't talking about baseball. He was talking about this, sharing in the power and the love and the redemption of Christ Jesus and how he can change and save hearts and minds and lives that had nothing to do with baseball. His kingdom in this world is upside down, and his logic doesn't make sense. This is what he had in mind. Every time I speak, I like to say that I've been around the block, not once, but twice. I've been to the very tippy, tippy, tip top of the mountain. But let me tell you something. I have fallen butt over tea kettle all the way down the mountain, and I have landed with a resounding thud at the bottom of that mountain. And one thing I learned was this, the same people, listen to this, the same people that you go over getting to the top, guess what? They're the same ones you're going to pass when? On that, on that free fall crash and burn all the way to the bottom. I had it all, but I was arrogant. I was egotistical. I was a drunk. I was a liar. I was a con. I was a cheat. See, when you live in the midst of addiction, when you live for the glory, like Paul said, of your own gut instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you live for the glory and destruction of your own shame, 
you're going to fall from that mountain. When Christ is not first and you think you've done all this, you're going to fall. I was the hitting coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of Arkansas. I was the associate head coach at Texas A&M for almost six years. At the age of 36, I was interviewing for the head coaching job at Mississippi State. I'm one of a handful of guys, literally one of four guys in the country that have won SEC titles and five Big 12 titles. Built two different teams that have gone to Omaha, gone to the Junior College World Series. I had it all, but I was a liar. I was a con, I was a cheat, I was a drunk. And today, now, I live in Huntsville, Texas. Huntsville, baby. There it is, there's the walls unit, there's the prison. That's right behind our left field fence. Literally, that's a driver, uh, a five iron, and a wedge away from our outfield fence right there. I live in Huntsville, and you know what? <clears throat> we live out in Timberwild, out by the fairgrounds. And so there's probably a hundred different ways that I could drive to the ballpark every day, but I choose on purpose to drive right past that prison. And I do it to remind myself of a couple of things. But for the grace of God, number one, I should be in there. I promise you that. Just as the Apostle Paul spoke, I am less than the least of any dude in that prison. The difference between me and somebody in that prison is they got caught. That's the difference. And the second reason I drive by that prison, and probably the most important, is it's a reminder. The only thing more agonizing than living in an actual prison with four actual walls where somebody actually tried, convicted, and put you there is living in a prison with four invisible walls that you've built yourself and you're living in a prison of your own making and your own mind and your own shame. At least those dudes in there that get caught, they have a chance to do what? You got me. They can own it. They can ask for forgiveness. But when you're a liar, when you're a drunk, when you're a con, when you're perpetuating a lie, there's no escaping, there's no out. And so I drive by there every day to remind myself of this, I will never, ever, 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 ever live as a captive again. That's a picture of a key that opens handcuffs. I carry that on my keychain to remind me that I am free. Just as Paul said in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't live as a prisoner. Don't live in slavery to the bondage of sin any longer. In my journey of going around the block not once but twice, I learned four or five things about life that are key to life. If you've got notes and want to take them, I'm going to share them with you real quick today. The first one is this. There's two kinds of people in this world. Remember this, I had to find it out the hard way. Two kinds of people in this world, those that are humble and those that are about to be humble. Guess who you're looking at? You're looking at the guy that had to get humbled. How you treat people matters. Like I said, I was arrogant, I was egotistical, I was a jerk, I had it all, but I was living a lie. And in one instant, the Lord Look down and strip me of everything, all the way to the bone, and humble me. Let me explain some things that will humble you. If you ever want to be humbled, try looking at your wife and three kids and tell them, 
it's okay, daddy's got to go to rehab to try to get better. Whew, that'll knock the breath out of you. Tell them daddy's going to rehab for a month and then try to walk out the door to leave to go to rehab and have your little girls clinging on your pant leg crying, daddy, please don't go, daddy, please don't go. That'll humble you. Lose your family and your friends. Thank God I got them back. But lose them over a beer bottle. That'll humble you. Lose the best job in America that you coach at Texas A&M as associate head coach, making lots of money, living a big house, all a lie, and you work with your best friend in the entire world, and he has to fire you. That will humble you. Watch the team that you helped put together and you helped coach for five years. Watch the team from your parents' couch because they're the only ones that'll take you in now. Thank God for parents never letting go. Watch the team that you helped build at the age of 39 as a drunk on your parents' couch. And see, this is a hard lesson to learn. They're gonna win with or without you. I got fired right before the season in 2011. I thought I was the man. They can't win without me. All they did was go on to win the Big 12, win the Big 12 tournament, win a regional, go to Florida State, win a super regional, and wind up in Omaha. I had to watch our team from my parents' couch having nothing. That'll humble you. You ever want to be humbled, lose your home. Put your home for sale because you can't afford it. Blow through your savings. Blow through all the money that you have if you ever want to be humbled. Lose your vehicle if you ever want to be humbled. Have your kids have to change schools from Brazos Christian School back to public school in the middle of the year because you can't, you can't afford to send them there no more. This will kick you right in the gut over a beer bottle. Sit your kids down and have to explain to them, now look, baby, when you go through the lunch line now, you just sign your name and they're going to give you your lunch now because daddy can't afford to give you no more lunch money. That'll humble you. If you ever want to be humble, try being unemployable. I was at Texas A&M, and nobody would touch me. I went for jobs all over the country in the summer of 2011. I flew to South Dakota to go for a job. Now, y'all imagine playing baseball in South Dakota? That's how desperate I was. Went to Nashville, went through every junior college. I went for the job at Texarkana Junior College. I had been the head coach there for five years. We had gone to Grand Junction to the college, Junior College World Series. I call them, they have their job open. I don't even get a return phone call. You ever wanna be humbled on your 40th birthday, try this on for size. Went from the associate head coach at A&M to on my 40th birthday, I was working at a feed mill about 20 miles outside of College Station, loading horse feed, cattle feed, and deer corn in the back of an 18-wheeler in the middle of August with me and a bunch of Guatemalans. I love those dudes, but we didn't speak the same language. The only same language we were speaking is it's 40 bags to a pallet and it's hot back here. And it's the middle of August. Now for a total of 430 days, I sat out of the game of baseball. 430 days, it wasn't until one man, one man in the entire country who believed in second chances, his name's Tony Robichaux, 
He's a very wise, smart man, and he's the head coach of the UL Raging Cajuns. He said, I don't care what you've done. I want to know what you're going to do. And see, God does have a sense of humor because the only school, think about this, that would hire a broken down drunk is located where? In Lafayette, Louisiana. You guys ever been over there? That's the drinking capital of the United States of America, Lafayette. They got 10-year-olds running around drinking. That stuff's like iced tea over there. He took a drunk over there and said, nope, you're done. You wouldn't believe it. That's a fact. Amen. Amen. The second thing I learned was this. Nothing changes in your life until you decide to take action. Nothing. This is is cold. I'm going to say it. God's not going to save you. God's not going to save you while you're living in the midst of sin. I was the king of deal-making and bargaining. I was the king of being on my 11th beer and praying, God, please take this from me. God, please take this from me. Crack open my 12th. I was the king, and, and, and some, a lot of people in this audience been there. I was the king of driving, and please, God, don't let him turn those lights on. Please, God, let him keep going. Please, God, don't let him pull me over. I'll stop drinking, and he goes by you. Y'all know what I'm saying? God's not going to save you while you're living in that sin. You've got to take action. See, darkness cannot live in the light. Darkness, by its very definition, is what? It's an absence of light. It's nothing. And I was that darkness. It wasn't until I stood up and I took one single step did I realize this. The good Lord was waiting on me the whole time to show him I was going to stand up and come to him, and he grabbed me, and he said, let's go, boy. I ain't been the same since, I promise you. Ain't been the same since. Two things happened for me to take action. One was this. We were living in Lafayette. I was still broken, living just in anger, rage, could not believe I had blown everything that I had blown. Finally, I had gotten my family back. Finally, I had a job in baseball, but I was guilty I was living in regret, I was living in shame, and I was full of rage. And my family talked me into going to their church with them one day, our Savior's over in Lafayette. And at the end of the service, my little five-year-old Chloe, they, they made a call, anybody who wants to get baptized can walk on up to the top and we'll dunk you in the tank and baptize you today. And little Chloe said, Daddy, I want to go do that. And she said, would you go with me? Oh, gosh, I didn't feel like I was worthy of that. But I sucked it up and I walked and there was a long line and you got to climb the stairs and I just felt the Holy Spirit nudging me, nudging me, nudging me. And we get to the top and the preacher's in the tank and he says, Daddy, you want to take your little girl under? And I said, nope, preacher, we're both going under today. Whew, I get chills saying that. And I went under with my little girl and I came up and I shed a hundred pounds. God said, go under and leave it there. I got this. And so I took that step and he said, let's go. See, I had proven, I had proven that I couldn't quit drinking for God. That's hard to admit, right? I had proven I couldn't quit drinking for my family, for my friends. I couldn't quit drinking for my career. Now, it wasn't until he put me in Lafayette with a bunch of broken dudes, a bunch of misfits, and I was coaching one day, and I started looking around. I was talking to these hitters, and I realized one thing. I looked over, and I realized his dad's in prison. Hmm. 
His mama's an alcoholic. His mama's an alcoholic. His mama's been married five times. His brother just died. And it goes on and on and on. And I said, Dad, go. I'm surrounded by brokenness. And I'm the chief broken one among them. I'm chief broken. And I made myself a promise. I looked at him and I said, you know what? Never again. My promise right now, I will never let you down. I will never touch that stuff again. Six years and four months after that meeting, I ain't touched a drink. Don't go to meetings. Don't do anything else. I gave it to the Lord. I took a step of action, and He delivered me from it. I'll tell you right now, you will have to put a gun to my head and pull a trigger before I touch it. Not doing it. Not going to let them down. Not going to let these boys at Sam Houston State down. Just not going to happen. You want something to change? Take action. Faith plus action, guess what? You're going to start doing the incredible. You're going to start doing the impossible. Walking with both of those. Third thing I learned was this. When given the opportunity, the most important thing you will ever do is get up. Get up. Respond. See, the, the, the act of getting knocked down, getting humbled and, and knocked to your knees, that's not, hey, that's not what everybody remembers. That's not what's going to define you. What everybody's going to remember is what's going to happen after that. You're going to lay down or you're going to get up and do something about it. I believe that God demands that we get up and keep going. And we keep going. And when you think you can't go no more, guess what? Do it again. And then do it again and do it again. Just as it says in James 1, 2, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Be joyful for it. Because you need perseverance to be mature, complete, and lack no good thing. Get knocked down seven, what do you need to do? Get up eight and be thankful. Fourth thing, fourth key to life, and this is a big one, I want you to hear this. Tying your identity to what you do instead of who you are is a recipe for disaster. My entire life, I was Matt Deggs, the baseball guy. Matt Deggs, number 15. Matt Deggs this, Matt Deggs that, Matt Deggs baseball. Nowhere in the Bible, I looked, does it call you to be a baseball guy, does it? You look, in Genesis, it don't say, hey, look, by the way, I need you to coach a little ball. No, it only calls you to do one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. The problem we make as a society is we run on an empty tank mentally, physically, and spiritually. We run on a quarter of a tank, and then we're identified as being a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a husband, whatever it might be, baseball player, football player, and when things don't go your way and you're on an empty tank, mentally, physically, and spiritually, create a black hole in your heart that can only be filled with alcohol, drugs, lust, gambling, you name it. The things of this world will try to fill that hole. Don't do it. You're a child of God. Be secure in that. The fifth thing is God's promises are real. Along this journey, along this journey of being totally broken to the point I wanted to surrender, give up, and die, to being where I am today, it was like God would look down at me at times and just wink, these supernatural winks that say, don't give up, you just keep going, keep going, keep going. I got this. And I only got time to share one of them with you, but just know this. My entire career, 
I wore number 15. I identified as a baseball guy, and I hid behind the number 15. Interesting part is this, is when I got to UL Lafayette, when you don't have a job, and then they offer you a job, one, one person, the entire country, and then you get there and they say, this is your number, you don't really have any bargaining power. So you take what? The number that they give you. I was number 15. I was rolling in there ready to get 15, and they said, here you go, here's 28. I was like, 28? I don't even like 28. 28 is terrible. I don't want 28. That's what I thought to myself. I didn't say it. So they gave me 28. But know this. The number one thing the enemy wants to do in your life is blind you. But see, that was over because I took action. I responded. I got up, and I was no longer identifying with the temporary stuff of this world. And I started to be able to see. And I realized something about that 28. God wanted me in 28. I spent 28 days in rehab. How many chapters do you think there are in the book of Matthew? By the way, Matthew's my name. There's 28. Rob Childress and I took over at Texas A&M. Guess what day of the month it was? 28. Me and Kathy, you know what day of the month our anniversary is? It's 28th. Do you know what day I happened to quit drinking while I was at UL Lafayette? This is after they had already handed me the number 28. It was February 28th. Guess what day they hired me at Sam Houston State? The 28th. And on that very morning before they called to offer the job, my wife's devotional came out of Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. It says, I will be with you and watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Ladies and gentlemen, God's promises are real. All things are possible. Never, ever, ever quit. Thank you guys so much, and God bless you. At this time, we're going to have an opportunity. Some of you came in this morning. You don't know quite why you walked in the door this morning, but you sensed something on your heart, and that is that God wants to give you a second chance today. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you came in this morning and you sense in your heart that maybe it's time to take action, maybe it's time to take a second chance with the Lord, then we have an opportunity for you to say yes to the Lord this morning. We're not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way. But with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you're saying, I would love to give my life to Jesus today. Maybe there's some things going on in my life. I have a past. I have a history. Some things I may not be proud of, but I, I want to choose to believe today that God can give me a second chance. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to raise your hand. We want to pray for you. If you want to say yes to Jesus or come back to Jesus this morning, if you'll slip your hand up, we are going to pray for you this morning and believe that God has good things in store for you. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. God, I pray for every person in the room this morning who needs a second chance. God, we thank you that you are so good, so loving, so gracious that you are willing to fight for our hearts, our time, our families, and our life. And so together we pray this prayer this morning, Lord. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. 
and God raised you from the dead. And right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. And I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.